into Upper Darby, right? Upper Darby, near Philadelphia. I was leading a spring break campaign, a student at ACU. He was the preacher there. We had a great campaign together, and I've enjoyed his friendship ever since. Marvin moved back to Philadelphia, I moved from Philadelphia to San Antonio back in 1992. 92. So he's been back here for quite a few years. Uh, he is the father of two children, husband of Gail, who happens to be with us tonight. So we're glad she's with us. And so I appreciate Marvin always coming and challenging us. So Marvin, come talk. Hi, Kevin. Don't y'all think Doug is getting funnier and funnier? <laughs> the, and the delivery and the timing and, and the build-up. I guess what I'm really saying, Doug, is will you buy my dinner again next time? <laughs> that one was actually funnier than, than some of his attempts. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Now, we do, we do love them, and we do go back quite a ways. And I need to apologize to Robert, who is not named Richard. So, but hopefully he will change the slide on either one. Uh, so we'll see. Okay, uh, so they say you are what you eat. And I kind of need to know who I'm talking here tonight, uh, who I'm talking to. And I, I got to tell you, if I'm honest, I am pizza. That's a picture of me. Um, so what else we got here tonight? If you are what you eat, you are shrimp. Now that wasn't, that wasn't a hand motion, Richard. <laughs> Just kidding. That was a point. This is a point to you. Okay. This is a point to them. Okay. All right. Let's see. What else do we have? I bet we got some hamburgers and hot dogs in here. Is that right? What else we got? Enchiladas, yeah. Ice cream. Ice cream. By the way, I'm part enchilada after Doug bought me dinner tonight. It was good. Canyon Cafe. Canyon Cafe. What else we got? Indian food. Indian food, okay. Anybody else? Broccoli. Broccoli. <laughs> Get him out of here. Can you verify that, ma'am? Okay. Did, you, did anybody not get to eat before they came here tonight? A few people? Okay. We've got some folks over at our place that don't ever get to eat on Wednesday night, and I just don't see how they can pull that off. So I don't know if there were any leftovers. Maybe we could have an eating section over here somewhere. Um, but... We, we all know what it's like to be hungry, um, and sometimes we're not really that hungry, and sometimes we're very hungry, and we've got this, uh, this powerful feeling and desire that we call hunger. Uh, hunger's not a need. Uh, nourishment is the need, and we experience that with the, the feelings, the physical feelings of hunger and the desire to eat. And Pearl Buck said, hunger makes a thief of any man. And I know that's true 
because I went to the missions game the other night and I was hungry and I went down and bought one hot dog and one hamburger and paid $12, which tells me that my hunger made them a bunch of thieves <laughs> took my money. How much did y'all have to pay tonight? Did y'all have to pay for your four bucks for a hamburger? Does that come with a drink? Man. I'll be, well, y'all don't have a baseball game, though. All right. So, so it's, a, it's a powerful, powerful um, motivator, a powerful, powerful force. Um, and Jesus uses hunger as a metaphor for a deeper spiritual craving. If you want to fill in the blanks, the highlights are going to be the blanks. Jesus uses hunger as a deeper spiritual craving. John 6, 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So he's talking about two different kinds of food, food that spoils, literal real food and food that endures to eternal life. And if there's two kinds of food, there's two kinds of hunger. There's the physical hunger, but there's a yearning, a craving, a longing, a spiritual desire. And Jesus uses hunger as a metaphor for that. If there's a real food and a true bread and a true drink, as he mentions later in the chapter, then there's also a hunger that is deeper and truer than the physical hunger. Have you sensed that hunger? Have you sensed that yearning? Have you sensed that longing? I usually sense it um, when I'm, when I slow down and I'm quiet after having been really busy uh, doing all kinds of stuff. And strangely to me, um, when I've been doing all kinds of church stuff, good stuff, uh, and then sit down, sometimes tired, sometimes exhausted, and there's this yearning, uh, this longing, this hunger, um, and it's a spiritual hunger. Regardless of whether we are aware of it, this hunger motivates us to seek satisfaction. So you may be aware that you've got this spiritual hunger, or you may not be aware um, and even if you are aware, you may not know what it really is. Uh, it's amazing how often we think we're hungry for potato chips. Uh, my body is telling me I need potato chips. Well, probably not. I mean, we may desire that, but I seriously doubt our bodies are telling us that's what we need. 
And so with this yearning, this spiritual hunger, we may be aware of it, but not really know what it is, or we may not be aware of it at all, and yet it motivates us, it, it drives us, it may even compel us. Now, expecting um, a bit of a, wow, better hit that one again. Oh, uh, yeah, these are line by line. Follow me as I read these four lines. That vague dissatisfactions getting hard for you to bear. You're always seeking something, though you're really not aware. A hunger lurks inside quietly shaping who you are, your thirst compels your actions and it's driving you too hard. That's a song uh, taken from Isaiah 55, especially verse 2. You may want to check that out later. That passage is parallel to what Jesus talks about in John 6. So, so there's this yearning, this longing that we have, and sometimes we seek to satisfy that yearning. And since we don't really know what it is, or even if we do know what it is, uh, we seek to satisfy it in all kinds of ways. Salt water won't quench your thirst. Potato chips won't really satisfy your hunger, but we try those kinds of things anyway. Well, Hopefully you don't try the salt water. Um, and, and we try things like pleasure or power or money or stuff or people or work or even church. We try to get real busy doing church stuff. Uh, this hunger, I think, is a part of what causes dysfunction, people-pleasing, uh, perfectionism, things like that are driven by this hunger that we're seeking to satisfy. Uh, Pleasure is a big one for Christians or non-Christians. You think of that as non-Christians, but it's Christians too, and sometimes it's exactly the same. Sometimes the Christian ways of seeking pleasure are just scaled back a little bit, uh, but still trying to find satisfaction in pleasure. So anticipating that there might be a few uh, people here tonight in my age group, and the rest of you may have studied it in history, there was this band, and actually I think there still is, called the Rolling Stones. And uh, over 50 years ago, Mick Jagger shouted out for everyone, I can't get no satisfaction. Would y'all like me to sing that? (laughs) That'll clear this place out. Um, can't get no satisfaction. Uh, And then I noticed the next line, which I thought was one word. I thought it was all one word. Can't get no curvy action. What's curvy action? And then I found out it's two words. Can't get no curvy action, Mick Jagger said, which is about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How on earth are you going to find satisfaction with geometry? Right? <laughs> Curvy action. Um, so I'm 
just going to assume maybe you know what he was really talking about. Um, and, and people seek satisfaction that way. And not just him, but Bono. Uh, Bono seems to have a spirituality to him. Uh, a number of years ago now, he wrote, I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have kissed honey lips, felt the healing in the fingertips. It burned like fire, this burning desire. I have spoke with the tongues of angels. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. It was cold as a stone. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Sounds like he knew there was a yearning. He knew he was looking for it. He tried all these different things, but wasn't able to find it, according to the song. Um, so finishing this, uh, the next verse of this uh, song, why spend all your money seeking superficial bread? Why not come to me and have real nourishment instead? You're striving all the time. Still, you're never satisfied. Your hunger can't be sated with pursuits you've deified. Uh, people look to satisfy this hunger in hundreds, thousands of different ways, uh, but, but still don't find what they're looking for. And so they try more and more and more. Now, in addition to trying to satisfy it, uh, we also sometimes try to numb it and, uh, and medicate it, you know, both literally and metaphorically. Uh, and alcohol is probably the most common way. Uh, drugs are a pretty common way. Busyness is a pretty common way to numb the pain. Just stay busy and you don't have to think about it. And ironically, another way to numb the pain is with food. So you've got this hunger. It's not a physical hunger. It's a spiritual hunger. And yet we try to numb it with food. I've done that for like the last 40 years. Uh, and and we, we even name it comfort food, emotional eating. Those are acceptable phrases in our society because it's so common for us to try to numb the pain. Now, one remark here outside the prepared material, so watch me close, Doug, is I want to recommend you try to let yourself feel the hunger, that you resist the urge to numb the dissatisfaction. That you just sit quietly sometimes and let yourself feel, become aware of the yearning or the longing that corresponds to the spiritual food that Jesus gives to satisfy it. 
And the reason for letting ourselves feel it is so that we will go to the right place to satisfy it. If we numb it or medicate it, we won't feel the need to do that. So let yourself feel the yearning. Let yourself uh, feel the longing. Now, against that backdrop, Jesus makes this profound statement three times in our chapter, I am the bread of life. And it's amazing to me how in one short but profound statement, Jesus says so much. He says that he is that thing that we're hungry for. He is that thing that we yearn for. Now, I'm just going to ask you, don't say anything, but do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the satisfaction to that yearning? I think it's, a, it's an important step when we even recognize that we have this hunger and thirst. It's another important step when we recognize that he is the satisfaction of it. And it's another important step when we're okay with that. You know, when we believe that he is the satisfaction and we're okay with that. That's a good thing. Uh, where we can sing that Jesus is the bread of life. And that's a good thing. So uh, three phrases here. I am is a claim to be God. Goes back to Exodus 3. I give you the verse there on your sheet. A couple of verses, actually. Um, I think y'all are going to have a few more I am speakers this summer. I think I'm the first one on the I am. So I wanted to be sure that everybody's familiar with that. When Jesus says I am, he's alluding to Exodus 3. When Moses says, what if the people ask me what your name is? And God says, I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. And you may know that God's name, which we think is Yahweh, uh, they, they stopped pronouncing it because they didn't want to take it in vain. We think it's Yahweh. And if you look at the Hebrew letters to that and you look at the Hebrew word for I am, they're going to look similar. There's a correspondence there. Um, so God is saying, my name is I am. Um, and that may have the force of I will be what I will be, uh, but it's usually translated I am. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I think there's seven of them. And they're all claims by Jesus to be God. Now, in our chapter, which is way too much to read, but you might want to look at it later, the chapter begins with a sign. And signs point to things. Signs have a message. 
This is not just a great trick of feeding 5,000 people. It's a sign. And it's a sign at one level that says, I can provide what you need. It's a sign at, a, at another level that says, I can provide what you need spiritually. And it's a sign at another level that says, I am God. And it works in reverse, too. Since he is God, he can provide what we need spiritually, and he can provide what we need physically. And so the seven signs in John are all pointing to that truth. And ultimately, they're pointing to the truth of who Jesus is, that he is God. But in this context, as in, I guess, all of them, there's also a very specific point, and that is, I am the bread of life. Robert went to sleep on Robert, I'm sorry. Thanks for being my straight man. I can't see Robert for anything. He's got to be up there. Y'all look. Can you see him? Nobody? I, I appreciate your help, but who knows what he's going to do to me before this is over. Um, it, by the way, it's really hard if you've ever been the PowerPoint person. It's really hard to stay focused. So you're doing a great job, Robert. And it is Robert, right? Okay. Um, so uh, by the use of a metaphor, comparison without the word like or as, you know, simile, metaphor, uh, the metaphor of bread, Jesus says he can satisfy that hunger. Uh, John 6 doesn't really come out and say, I can satisfy that hunger you've got. That's how we would say it, how I would say it. Jesus just says, I am the bread of life. Uh, More literally, if you read the chapter in life, is what goes in the next blank on number three. More literally, um, he says he can give us life, he can give us eternal life, and he can give us resurrection. But those are all life. And you, you may have heard this before. It's really true that eternal life is both a quantity of life and a quality of life. Um, Eternal life starts here and now if you're in Christ. Whoever believes in him has eternal life now. And it's very similar to what he said in John 10, um, that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly, a different quality of life. And that's another way of saying what we yearn for is that quality of life. And so uh, with this saying, I am the bread of life, Jesus says he can satisfy that yearning. Now, I don't know if you've thought about the yearning before, but I'm pretty sure Uh, 30 minutes ago, before I started, however long it was, uh, everybody already knew Jesus is the answer, right? Everybody already knew that Jesus is the solution. Uh, So I want to do this um, just to challenge us a little, but also because it's true, and listen closely to the wording of the question here, And it's an honest question, maybe too honest for some of you. And that is, 
coming right up on the next slide. Sorry. I meant to say uh, that song we love. Y'all sing as the deer pants for the water. Um, in, in John 6, we have the bread. Um, in Psalm 42, uh, and in John 4, and in John 7, we have the water. And since y'all didn't have anybody doing water in this series, I thought I could branch out into that. But this, is, this, this song is saying, I am the bread of life. Only it's saying it from a different point of view and using water. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. I want you more than gold or silver. Only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Uh, that's the flip side, using water instead of food, looking at it from our point of view, instead of Jesus saying he is the solution. This is a song that confesses that he is the solution or that God is the solution. Uh, now, here's, here's the honest question. Does anyone else ever feel like you're trying Jesus but still don't feel satisfied? I'm waiting to see if there's going to be an earthquake. <laughs> you're not supposed to say that, but I've, I have. I've, I've felt like I've tried that. Where's the satisfaction? Where's the bread? Um, and I'm not sure I know the answer or, or all the causes of that, but I thought about it a lot, and I want to share some possibilities in case some of you struggle with that same thing. One possibility is that we may have wrong assumptions. Man, I keep getting my slides out of order. Before we go to the assumptions, let me finish the U2 song. Uh, Bono still hadn't found what he's looking for, but he, he goes on and he includes God. He says, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loosened chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. And, uh, you know, just to be real honest, one of my first thoughts was, well, you went to the wrong church. You know, if you'd gone to the right church, you would have found what you're looking for. Um, and then I had some honest moments, you know, where I would have to say the same thing. So why is that? Uh, if Jesus really is the bread of life, if we've got this hunger and we've correctly identified it, it's a spiritual hunger, a spiritual yearning, and I go to church, why do I still feel that yearning? And I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to tell you some possibilities. One possibility is we may have some wrong assumptions. Uh, we may assume 
that Jesus satisfying our hunger means that we're going to have problem-free lives. Um, how's that working out for you? You know, um, we we know we're going to have problems, but I've got this really weird thing in my head. Actually, it's just a distorted thought that says things ought to go right, but they don't go right a bunch of the time. And it, we've almost missed it in the Bible other than James 1, you know, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Other than that, we've kind of missed it, but it's in the Bible a bunch over and over and over again through many hardships we must enter the kingdom of heaven, endure hardship as discipline. Uh, to keep me from becoming conceited, the Lord gave me a thorn for my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. All who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, we will be glorified with them if we suffer with them. It's in there all the time, but we don't want to see it. And so we become Christians and we think, well, I ought to be problem free and I'm not. I've got all these problems. What's wrong? Well, you can bring some of those on yourself, uh, but this is no guarantee that we're going to have a problem free life. And so if we assume that and we become Christians, we won't be satisfied. We'll think something's wrong. Our assumption is what is wrong. Uh, we may assume we only need one meal. Uh, we may assume I became a Christian. I ate the bread. I should be satisfied. It's not that way with any physical meal. You got to keep coming back. You got to keep feeding, uh, so to speak. In verses 57 and 58, Jesus says, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Uh, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestor ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And the word feeds is one of those present tenses, continuous action. You got to keep coming back. You got to keep feeding on Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. So if you assume that becoming a Christian is going to make you feel great and all the problems are going to go away, those are wrong assumptions. That may be why we still feel dissatisfaction. Uh, another assumption is the assumption that we could ever totally feel satisfied on earth. And Romans 8 talks about we groan longing for the redemption of our bodies. That's a groaning that's going to stay with us. And so if you have any of those assumptions, you're going to be dissatisfied. That could be part of it. Uh, another part of it could be that we're taking the wrong approach to satisfying it. We know it's in Christianity. We know it's in Jesus, but we might take the wrong approach. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that the correct approach has 97 steps 
and we, we uh, threw you out on a technicality on step 74. That's not what I'm saying. But there are some really basic things about what Jesus says we're supposed to do to find this satisfaction. And if we don't do these, I don't think we've got a chance to find it. Um, he says to come to him. We've got to come to him. Uh, chronologically, maybe the first thing you do is come to church. But by priority, coming to church is not the first thing. The first thing is coming to Jesus. And if you come to Jesus, you will come to church. Uh, you can't be a Christian apart from being a part of his body. That's how you learn to love, is hang out with unlovable people. Y'all got those, right? Or y'all just hot dogs and hamburgers, you know? But yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be here. But it's so easy to confuse coming to Jesus with coming to church. And you can come to Jesus and eat richly for a while, but then you stop eating richly of Jesus and you just come to church. You're not going to find the satisfaction there. Um, uh, I don't know about this one, but yeah, I'll throw it out. There's always other churches I can go speak at. Um, do these people satisfy you? you know, do these people satisfy you? And in a sense, they probably do, but they probably got some warts and they probably got some issues uh, and probably sometimes they are not satisfying at all, but Jesus is. Uh, very much like what he said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We gotta come to Jesus, and we gotta keep coming to Jesus. Gotta believe in him. Um, and the word, in most cases, the word is literally believe into him. Uh, almost like out of ourselves and into him. Get over ourselves and put our faith in him. Trust him, believe in him, eat his flesh, drink his blood, be intimately connected to him in a relationship of trust. And that's hard for us sometimes because we want to do things. But you know, Jesus says in this chapter, uh, I should have wrote this verse down, I think it's 29. He says, uh, 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? Uh, that sounds like us, doesn't it? What do we need to do? What are the works we need to do to have this satisfaction? And Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Um, so just as we sometimes need to sit still and feel the yearning, so we need to sit still sometimes and believe in Jesus without getting out there and doing stuff. Now, I know believing in him will lead us to do stuff, but don't let the doing replace the believing. The doing grows out of the believing. 
Uh, in Romans 1, Paul says he, he wanted to bring about the obedience of faith. So make sure we've got the faith part. And then third is to be drawn by the Father. I still remember 40 years later teaching a Bible study on John 6 and talking about all these things. And somebody sit out there and, and at question time said, well, this verse that says that nobody can come to God unless the Father draws him, which you conveniently passed over, you know, and I did pass over it because I didn't know what to say about that verse. Uh, and I'm a lot more comfortable with it now. Let me find one for you. 637, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Uh, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Uh, we've been scared of those verses because we think, well, that's predestination and we don't believe in that, so let's just skip over those. Uh, but they're right there in the Bible, so you got to accept them. Uh, and and I, I don't think it is saying God is doing this and we have no part in the matter. We've got choices to make. But this part does say that God has to be involved. And if it's just merely human, I'm going to go to church so much I fix my yearning, God's not going to be involved in that. We've got to make sure that we are drawn by the Father. And, and you know, there's some really interesting phrases, like in Ephesians 1, uh, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So read the scripture, but pray that God would enlighten your hearts as well. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about the light of the gospel of the glory of God has shone in our hearts. Pray that God will make his light shine in your hearts uh, so that it's a God thing and not merely human. And if you ever get discouraged or think it's too hard, remember uh, what the 12 said at the end, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. People may drop out of church. People may give up on Jesus. People may say, this stuff doesn't work. I still feel that yearning. I'm not satisfied. And you're tempted to drop out to uh, remember their words. Where are you, you going to go? You know, you're going to go have some more potato chips? You're going to go have some more seawater? It's not going to do it. Hang on to what you've learned. Uh, I'd like to end with a, a song from Psalm 63, which is very parallel to this as well. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek your face. Liars are taunting me. People pursuing me. They'll kill me if they can. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. I'm parched like desert land. Oh God, earnestly I seek you. For you I am thirsting. You are my first thing. You are my longing the song of my heart sings, you're my God. 
I've seen you where you dwell, your great power and glory beheld. Since your love is better than life, it is you, God, my lips will glorify. Oh God, earnestly I seek you. I give praise to you always. It's in your name my hands I'll raise. I'll be satisfied like eating rich food. I'll sing my praise to you. Oh God, earnestly I seek you. On my bed I remember you. Think of you, God, the whole night through. Because you are my help, I sing. In the shadow of your safe wings, I will cling to you and your strong hand will hold my soul secure. O God, earnestly I seek you. For you I am thirsting. You are my first thing. You are my longing. The song of my heart sings. You're my God. I want to encourage you um, to keep on earnestly seeking God and Christ. Keep eating, keep drinking, keep reading, keep praying, keep doing things like trying to figure out what the Bible means by seeking him. Um, Keep going. Keep earnestly seeking God. That's where the satisfaction is going to be. May not be total, but that's the best chance we have for satisfaction.